Support for this episode comes from Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% farmer-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect the family farms of the Pacific Northwest with brewers across the globe. With a growing competitive market, YCH understands the need to continuously brew exceptional quality beers. This is why YCH is focused on developing innovative hop products and research-based resources that provide real solutions in the brew house and help brewers take their beers to the next level. Yakima Chief Hops works with breweries of all sizes across the globe, from home and nano brewers to craft and macro. To find out more about YCH, visit www.yakimachief.com. Depending on who you ask, beer and whiskey is a perfect partnership. Whether you're following one with the other or enjoying a complex, nuanced, barrel-aged beer, the two beverages just go hand in hand. Some of the most revered and sought-after releases in modern beer have been intricate and masterful stouts and barley wines that have been aged in former spirit barrels. But that relationship isn't simply one way. We have also seen distilleries team up with breweries to age their spirits in barrels that previously housed beers like stouts or even IPAs. And today's guests have been involved in both. London-based distillery Bimba has worked with Brew By Numbers to excellent effect. Not only providing whiskey barrels for the Greenwich Brewery to age their stouts, but also using those stout barrels to impart flavours to their spirits too. Hello and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. And I'm Vela Mitrovic, editor of the Distiller's Journal. The whiskey world is markedly different than it was some 20 years ago. You can argue it is more welcoming, more accepting of different ideas, different perspectives and different expressions. And because of this shift, distilleries like our guest today had not only been able to launch onto the market, but thrive in it as well. They laid their first casks down on the 26th of May 2016 and went on to release their inaugural single malt whiskey three years later, in September of 2019. The limited release of 1,000 hand-numbered bottles sold out in three hours, and they've carried that momentum with them as the distillery has grown in the years that followed. In this podcast, we speak to Matt Mackay, the Head of Marketing and Communications at London's Bimba Distillery. We discuss the distillery's journey, one that started in Poland, how the business has embraced its London home and the ways it works with names synonymous with England's capital. We also look at the production processes that are integral to Bimba's identity, ones often eschewed by other businesses, and how the distillery is refusing to rest on its laurels following a whirlwind first five years. So Bimba was founded in 2015. Our heritage comes from Poland. Our master distiller, Darius, uh, has a history of moonshining, which is where the name Bimba comes from. Bimba in Polish means moonshine. His father and grandfather were illicit distillers in communist-era Poland, uh, effectively distilling there using really basic equipment, uh, just using your sense of smell, touch and taste, no no automation, no, no computers back then in the 1920s and distilling fruits. So Darius learned quite a lot of fundamental skills around distillation and particularly how you can use those senses, as I've touched upon, to make quality spirit. 
Him and his wife, Evelina, moved over to London and started off a carpentry firm, uh, carpentry engineering. Uh, building things and taking things apart has always been his passion. But whilst over here, uh, he developed a, a true passion and love for, for Scotch whisky. So when the opportunity arose to combine his technical know-how, his engineering and woodworking know-how with whisky, uh, he jumped at the chance. And so Bimba was created in 2015. And then we laid down our first cast in May 2016. So we just turned five years of age in terms of the age of our liquid just earlier this year. Being such a young distillery, the Bimba team knew that in order to make their name, their whisky had to impress. But they had faith in the spirit they had produced. So, I mean, there's always trepidation from a distillery side because you don't know how, not just the distillery, but how any product is going to be received. I do think that Bimba came onto the market, uh, in my opinion, at just the right time. Uh, I think if Bimba had launched 20 years ago, the whiskey market was a very different place and people were a little bit more boxed in with what they wanted to experience. But what we've seen across all of whiskey, not just uh, Scotch, not just English whiskey, but across the whole world, is a real increased love of the spirit, uh, a love of the stories behind it, its development, its its variability, its characteristics, and massive growth. Uh, whiskey has grown immeasurably as an industry over the past 20 years. And so I think that puts Bimba just right at the top of that wave, you know, five years ago when whiskey was really starting to grow. And I, I think we were very fortunate to be founded at a point when certainly I would say the sort of seasoned whiskey drinkers, veterans or however you might want to describe them, are of a mindset that they do want to explore new spirit styles. They want to see what's coming down the pipe. They want to broaden their palates and broaden their tastes out. And yeah, I think we've been riding, riding that wave ever since over the last five years. For many, buying habits have changed over the last 18 months. When it comes to beer, wine and whiskey, people have often been buying a better quality product. Matt Mackay says that he's observed this in the demand for Bimba, with consumers continuing to desire high-quality spirits, regardless of the age of the distillery. Bimba launched its first whisky in the autumn of 2019. To some success, we then followed that up with uh, the Rechard Small Batch, which is the, the, the Bimba whisky, which I think put us on the map. Just a few months after uh, COVID-19, everyone's locked inside. So we're not a distillery that has hundreds of years of history where you can sort of compare to what it was and how it's been over the last 18 months. Effectively, we've spent more time bottling during lockdown than we haven't. However, to specifically go back to, to, to your question, um, I do think that over the last 18 months, because people have been at home, they've been uh, looking at whiskey increasingly for several reasons. Number one, because they're sat at their computer all day. And so if you're into whiskey, then you're going to look at whiskey all day um, or do a job. You know, maybe maybe that's important at some points. Equally, um, if you're stuck at home, it, 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 even for me, it gets pretty miserable at times. And so I do think people were looking at whiskey and still are uh, as a mechanism to brighten their day, you know, to, to purchase the whiskey to make them feel good about themselves. Bimba uh, does sell out uh, invariably in minutes. That's a, a factor of our, our small, de small demand, but high interest, a lot of passionate fans. I mean, we're pretty fortunate that in that sense, the pandemic didn't really affect us as a business outwardly. We were still able to get our products out and people were still buying them in the global market. What it did affect was the production supply line. So simply getting glass, which is still 
still an issue now. Um, we've got bottlings we were meant to be doing earlier in the year, and they've been pushed back just getting in those raw ingredients to make bottlings in. The distillery being closed to visitors, um, although you know the visitor as as an attraction, it doesn't make much difference to the bottom line. We are all naturally completely passionate whiskey nerds. We love sharing our whiskey with other people, and so from an emotional standpoint, not being able to invite people into the distillery to share what we're doing, to show them how our processes are different and how that results in a different whiskey, that was pretty tough. One such project that has been incredibly popular for Bimber is the Spirit of the Underground Collection. A collaboration between Transport for London and Bimber, where the distillery celebrates one of the great engineering projects of the past 200 years. Just don't expect the distillery to be able to commemorate each of the capital's underground stops. The Spirit of the Underground is very much a team effort from the production team uh, making that amazing liquid of which we've selected and will select what we think are our best and most interesting casks through to um, the design team and then myself on looking at what stations are we going to pick, how are we going to focus the imagery and the text around those stations. I mean, it came about just through an idea. The idea was Darius's. He said, hey, you know, we live in London. We want something to celebrate London. Um, and so I reached out to TFL and just said, hey, we're thinking about this, not expecting them, you know, the links between alcohol and transport are a little bit fraught. Um, and we certainly are w working under some rules that, you know, when we're doing the promo shots, we can't have someone having a dram on an underground, uh, underground train. But they were actually super, super receptive because no one, it surprised me, no one had, had done anything quite like it. To the best of my knowledge, TFL are working with a gin brand out in China, but they're doing things quite simplistically and just putting the main round all on it. No one had ever sort of decided that they wanted to make um, products, particularly scotch, based on all the different stations. So in all honesty, it took nearly a year to get to the point where we released those first whiskies in terms of negotiating with TFL. Um, we don't do it for free. TFL, uh, you know, they're, they're protective of their brand. They want it to be seen in the best possible light and they, and they want a royalty for it. You know, they, they are a business. And then working uh, internally to get those designs and those stories around those stations ready. And then, of course, working with TFL as partners to, to say, yeah, we're happy with this. This is reflective of the history and, and the significance of that station. So what I would say as we're talking about it is um, there's 170 stations on the tube and we have absolutely no intention of doing all of them. By my calculation, uh, at the rate that we're looking at doing them, that would take 16 and a half years. Uh, that's a bit much. So uh, anyone interested in that series, uh, there's, there's definitely quite a lot more to come, but it won't be anywhere near every single tube station. Uh, least of all, because while some tube stations are fascinating, some of them aren't. You know, some of them are just there because there's a population of people that need to travel and actually the, the station doesn't have many sites or histories that are necessarily worthy of, of, of putting on a bottle. So, yeah, lot, lot, lots more to come around that. And we have plenty of ideas of other partnerships, uh, both around London and, and with London breweries that we like to collaborate on to, um, yeah, to, to, to keep entertaining and surprising people. Bimber is particularly proud of the production process involved in creating their spirits. And that's one that focuses on quality. And to focus on quality takes time. The process begins uh, in Hampshire, which is uh, west of London, at a farm called Fordnam and Allen. 
Fordham and Allen provide all of our barley needs. They're growing Concerto and Laureate uh, two-row barley strains, spring barley, so they'll be cropping quite shortly. Uh, we've been distilling using um, Concerto so far, but like a lot of distilleries, we'll shortly be moving over to Laureate as the Concerto strain loses its efficacy. From there, the barley is moved over to Warminster Maltings, uh, which is a little bit further west, heading, heading towards Bristol, I guess. It's Britain's oldest maltster, and they hold two floors uh, dedicated to malting all of Bimba's grains. The grains are then specced to our needs, and uh, everything about the production process at Bimba really eschews and takes a different route to a lot of distilleries uh, that you're going to see that have been founded a long time, where yield is their primary concern. Uh, a lot of our concern and our focus is on, on quality, and we believe that quality takes time. So rather than milling that grain, uh, if you go to a, a Scottish distillery, you'll often see a, a red mill or a, or a green mill, a bobby or a porteous mill. Uh, we don't mill it at all. Uh, the grain is cracked, and we do that to preserve the husk of the grain, which brings with it cereal character. But then it also ensures that we're only unlocking as much of the convertible starch as we need. We don't want our um, wort to be too floury. We want it to be just right for our production process. So Fordham and Allen, the farmer, delivers to the distillery um, bags of barley once a week. We don't have any silos, so we can't store it for any length of time. So that relationship is based around the quality of the grain from that particular region of England, but also that relationship that we have, that they can keep supplying everything we need, even if and when we grow, uh, but on a weekly basis. The next part of the process is mashing, the Bimber way. Mashing is fairly standard to a lot of distilleries, but with one distinction. We only sparge that grain twice. A lot of distilleries will do a final, particularly hot sparge to get the, the last of the locked-in um, convertible sugars out of the grain bed. We don't do that. The reason that we don't do that is we simply do not need that additional convertible sugar to make the wash that we require. Um, and we're all about not pushing yield at the expense of flavor. So uh, we only apply as much water as we need to create the flavor base that we're looking from those grains. Out of the mash tun, that wort is then cooled down because otherwise it would be too hot to apply yeast to inoculate it. We pump it across the distillery floor. The distillery is really quite small. Um, and so unlike a lot of the Scottish distilleries where uh, your tour guide might say, hey, follow this pipe work and you go down a corridor and then round into a room and then up a ceiling and round. Um, we don't do that. Everything is, is, if you stand in the middle of the distillery floor, you can rotate 360 and see everything. So it's literally a pipe that we uh, bend over the top of the roof and then pump that now ready to go cooled wash into seven custom-made uh, fermenters. Those were installed a few years ago. We were originally using steel um, as our fermenters, but we're quite fortunate that our master distiller owns a carpentry firm. And so what we did was we used the skills of those carpenters to build seven, one for each day of the week, uh, American oak, lightly toasted open-topped washbacks. That's quite a mouthful, but effectively what we're talking about is we're running our ferment for 168 hours, uh, seven, seven, a seven-day ferment. Support for this episode proudly comes from Munson's Malt. Munson's are a UK manufacturer and global supplier of world-class malts and malted ingredients. Munson's work closely with both traditional and modern breweries to find new, 
and exciting ways to enhance beer recipes, improve efficiencies, and create new and innovative products. Muntins provide a full portfolio of brewing malts from crushed malt in sacks to whole malt in bulk. Muntins also offer a range of liquid and dried malt extracts, which are the perfect solution to common challenges brewers face. Whether it's increasing ABV with Muntins Pale Ale Malt Extract, color addition with Muntins Ultra Dark Malt Extract, or adding alcohol-free to your range with Muntins Alcohol-Free Malt Extract, Muntins Malt Extracts are what you need. Want support with recipe development or brewery troubleshooting? The Munson's Brewing Technology Team are on hand and happy to help. Sustainability lies at the heart of everything Munson's do, and they are proud to boast the claim of manufacturing 100% sustainable malt. For more information, contact the Munson's team by emailing hello at munson's.com or visit www.munson's.com. Great beers begin with Munson's. Once the initial yeast, which is a combination of distillers and baker's yeast, uh, I can't tell you exactly what because it's uh, not proprietary. Uh, once that's died down after four days, because those washbacks are a little bit dirty, frankly, you know, the, the oak inside is lightly, lightly toasted, so it will have bacteria in it, and we deliberately don't completely clean it down. And because they are open-topped, that promotes a secondary malolactic fermentation from the bacteria and the wild yeast in the air. Uh, the reason to do that is to further develop esters within that wash. Um, a fundamental belief with distilling is that the actual distillation is simply reinforcing the flavors that you've created in fermentation. That's our belief. Um, so it's not something to rush. We could easily do twice as many ferments if we cut that down, but then the profile of that wash would be completely different. The one thing that we are very concerned about and keep a watchful eye on though, whilst running fermenters that are a bit dirty and are open-topped, is temperature. Uh, any of you brewers listening will know that if you let your temperature variate too wildly, um, at best you're going to end up with inconsistency and at worst you're just going to end up with a massive infection. Touch wood, right in front of me. We've only had one washback infect in uh, nearly six years, so that's not bad going. So there's a temperature control unit for each of those seven washbacks. It runs down a plate on the inside of each of the vessels and it keeps them to a constant 26 to 28 degrees at all times whether it's cold we need to heat them up or whether it's a uh, bloody hot in the summer we need to cool them down so that ferment is always kept within those confines to ensure both consistency and that it doesn't go over the edge from there bimba run two portuguese alembic stills at 1000 liters these were constructed by porto based hogger they're really fantastic if you're making um, small craft whiskey. Uh, they've been converted to our spec. So what we've done, because effectively we're making a slightly dirty wash and because we're using direct fire on those stills, which burns in the heavier compounds into the bottom of the still, creating texture, uh, because that spirit is naturally heavier, we've converted the stills to promote an even larger volume of copper. Uh, for reflux, which will strip out some of those compounds which are not necessarily either desirable or even tasty in your whiskey. So uh, the, the, the Bimba spirit is a product of a long, fruity but dirty fermentation, a long but fairly ferocious direct fire burn producing texture, but then some really sharp cut points 
throwing away of heads. We don't read as still heads. So you end up with this juxtaposition spirit that has an awful lot of body, an awful lot of fruity character and depth, but is naturally quite clean and sharp. Um, and it's only through the combination of those processes on the one side, using direct fire, running along ferment, but on the other side, ensuring really tight cuts, um, all of which I'll add are done by hand. There's no computerization in the distillery at all. So it's it's simply done on taste, smell, uh, and then measuring the ABV of that spirit to ensure that it's within the confines. And now we're nearly at the point of starting to make the whiskey. Here, Bimba work with a variety of casks across their expressions. But they also work with breweries too. The spirit runs off the stills um, once it's been through the wash, and then a second distillation in the spirit still, it comes off at 72% ABV. We then uh, rectify it downwards to 63.5%, which is a fairly standard filling strength you'll see for much of the industry, although some, some do play with that upwards and downwards, but we don't. We're filling into uh, a growing variety of cask types, uh, mainly American white oak, ex-bourbon casks. A lot of those originally were first fill, so it'd be the first time that we put our, our whiskey into it after that bourbon had been disgorged. But as we're now growing and developing, we're obviously emptying barrels out to make whiskey and then we are refilling them. So you're going to end up with barrels that are second fill, or also known as refill, where the level of the activity in the barrel is lower, but that means that we can leave that whiskey for longer. Um, and so you end up with a rather different profile between the, um, the sort of spicy wood forward first fill and then the calmer, longer, slower refill. Along with that, we have a selection of different sherries, which is growing. We started off with Oloroso and PX, but now we've expanded to include Fleur sherries, such as Fino, Amontillado, Manzanilla, uh, Palo Cotado, which is a weird sherry that isn't one or the other, but kind of is both. Uh, and then through to the, uh, the more oxidative sherries, such as uh, Moscatel um, and PX. Increasingly experimenting with things such as beer casks. We have a project with Brew by Numbers. We're doing a cask exchange with them. So we send them whiskey casks. They fill them with, at the moment, stout, uh, making some pretty tasty imperial stout beers. And then they disgorge, send the barrels back. And then we have some of those barrels that we fill with new make for a full-term imperial stout finish. And some that we're just using for, uh, for finishing, effectively, for moving uh, probably ex-bourbon whiskey in and then imparting that imperial stout flavor over four to six months to, to give that whiskey, which originally had a, a defined ex-bourbon profile, some of those uh, more dark malt, chocolate malt, um, sweet and heavier flavors. So yeah, we, we're a strange distillery in that we're all about the traditional methods, which take a lot of time, but we're not afraid to experiment both with our casking and our finishing, but also with our brand propositions and who we work with and how we want to be seen um, as a, an innovative, forward-looking and fairly open distillery. You know, there's no, there's, there's no secrets. You can come and visit and I encourage you all to do so. Um, and unlike a lot of distilleries, you can ask us anything and you can take photos of whatever you like. Depending on when you visit, there's a strong chance Bimber will have upgraded and updated its kit to further enhance production. But the one constant, Mackay explains, is the commitment to using the highest quality ingredients. That, and a refusal to compromise on the distillery's values. The grain is super important. I'm not going to get into a conversation around necessarily terroir. Uh, there are other distilleries that focus on that, such as Waterford. But the quality and the properties of that grain 
and where it's grown are all fundamentally going to affect the eventual flavor of that whiskey. So, you know, there's a lot of heritage grains out there. We're looking at opening, and we've just got planning permission for a new distillery in Speyside in Scotland. And there we're going to be using SAS, which is a completely different type of grain. And we're going to be sourcing that locally to that distillery because that will give a different profile to what we're doing there. So, yeah, it's really, really important particularly for a small distillery. Um, a lot of big distilleries, they're reliant on the, the volume of grain. You know, how, how much can you get me? We're not. And so because we're not, um, that allows us to be really specific in exactly that speck of the grain that we want. Um, and by working with that farm and by processing it in the way we do on the malting floor, only crushing it, not milling it, that is what defines that early stage of that bimba process. Equally, um, I would say, in addition to that, that if we changed any part of our, our whiskey making process, be that the speck of the grain, how long we sparge for, how long we ferment with, the type of yeast, um, the still setup, any part, if you change any part of, of your plant, the profile of your whiskey will change. And we've certainly found that Bimba has not rested on its laurels. The mash tun is not the original mash tun. The fermenters were not the original fermenters. The way the stills have operated has slightly been changed over the years. And for you know big distilleries who are making um, and, and using quite a lot of skill, I'll, I'll add, to make a product that has consistency across hundreds of thousands of bottles, potentially over decades, that's impressive. But we're not about that. That's not what we're doing. We're about creating the best whiskey we can using traditional methods and effectively our passion for whiskey. So the fact that Bimba does change, and you will see those changes if you try a bottle that's cast number before 110, that would have been made on the old washbacks. If you try them now, the profile's similar, but the fruitiness from those wooden washbacks is quite different. And not only are we okay with that, we look for that. We feel that we are on a journey. We are, we are still learning. Uh, any distillery that says, yeah, we've mastered it all, uh, I don't think so. You know, it's always learning, always looking for the next thing. How can we make this better? And we want people to join us on that journey. So having that variance and, you know, we're going to be moving from Concerto to Laureate. I've spoken to a few distilleries on tours and they've said, nope, that will make no difference to our whiskey. Well, speaking with my Bimba hat on, that will make a fundamental difference to our whiskey. It will be different whiskey. You're using a different barley strain. So, we, yeah, we, we, we really do believe in being open about that, but also embracing change. And, you know, the more that we can, not change for change's sake, but the more that we can refine our whiskey making process, the more, the more we think we can um, surprise people and say, wow, I thought I knew Bimba, I've just tried this Bimba. Either it's using a slightly different process or a different cask. And yeah, we just love to raise eyebrows and say, so long as the quality is great, yeah, change is good. Brewers Journal Podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. And me, Vela Mitrovich. Sound engineering is by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And special thanks to Matt Mackay at Bimba Distillery. <laughs>